So hey everybody, welcome to episode 255 of the Morning Just Code podcast. My name is Tim Mitchell and I am in Toronto, Ontario, and I'm joined once again by Mark Rubin down in San Jose, California, Hello. and Jaime Lopez Jr. in Seattle, Washington. How's it going? Right. Sunny Seattle, Washington, I would assume. It was actually cloudy and overcast <sighs> today, except the sun is peeking out at this very moment. <laughs> the last gasp before it goes down for the night. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So is it supposed to rain tomorrow for the holiday? It is going to be a mixture. I think we will get some rain and then... In some sun or possibly the reverse during the day. Hmm. Well, I, mean, I was going to tell you guys on Slack that I was just reading today that uh, I forget what it was, maybe on the news or something, that apparently that charbroiled hamburger or steak that you're going to eat tomorrow uh, has a certain chances are you can get cancer from that kind of food. No, they've been saying that for years. Oh, you can get yeah. well, I would say research yeah. causes cancer in rats, right? Yeah. So yeah, yeah. So yeah, so you got the big holiday coming up tomorrow, and then I guess you're off on Friday as well. I was off today as well, so. I- we had mm. today, tomorrow, and Friday off. So nice long, wow. long weekend. Wow, not bad. Mm-hmm. What are you, like three weeks into your new gig, gig there? Or? It's almost, it's about a month or so. Yeah. Really? Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. All right. Um, yeah, so we have a couple of fact check things. One is I, I heard back from uh, a person who is Yuli Witness on uh, Twitter, and he tells me that the talking moose is very much still around. Um, and he com- he says, I, I don't have much time to fix things Apple broke in, in speech synthesis, he said. So I assume he's been maintaining uh, the the code for more, the talking moose so I don't know who he is or where he's from but I, th- I get the uh, yeah, it says Germany I think uh, which is strange right anyway so I had a quick exchange with him about the moose the talking moose. Did you go to the the link and get the moose? I did not. I mean, that wasn't. Uh, uh, yeah, Zar- yeah, that's why I thought it was uh, Germany because of the URL. Zathrasd.de uh, slash moose is the the link. Um, I, I, to be honest with you, I, I, I like this. I like the fact he's going back to the flat moose, which is nice because they went to a 3D moose for a while there. I really didn't like that that moose. I like you know. I guess it was like the mid to late eighties and or I guess late eighties or nineties, early nineties that they they went to System Seven and came up with. This 3D rendered moose, which I didn't, I found was kind of crass. But I see that he's back as a flat guy for Mac OS 10, right? Universal binary. So there you go. Yuli's moose, he's called. Or is it, well, is it the moose or is it just he appropriated the idea? Hmm. I'm trying to figure out if, yeah, if this was the guy who wrote the original mo- uh, moose back in 86. Yeah, I know. He was from, um, yeah, Yuli Kernster, it says at the bottom here, 2003 to 19. Oh, okay. Hmm. There's a, then there's a link to the website of Steve Hall's creator of the original Talking Moose. Uh, uh, this guy is not the creator. Mm. But maybe he took it over, or did he just make a uh, a moose tribute band? How about that? The original Steve. Hmm. Yeah, you can see the 3D moose I was talking about at the bottom there, on the bottom of that page. Steve Hall's MD, medical doctor, or is he moose doctor? Mm. You'll never know. He'll have to answer us. Anyway, moving on. Um, another quick fact check from last week. We were talking about the band Yes, and uh, I checked into it. Um, around 5940, we were talking about Yes, and specifically Bill Bruford, who was who played three songs on Yes songs, and he and that was his. he left in the middle of the Close to the Edge tour, so that was when that was recorded. Um, interestingly enough that some of those songs were actually written, recorded here in, in Canada as well, hmm. but uh, as a live performance, I should say. And then Alan White took, joined the band and became the drummer for Tales of Topographic Oceans and everything beyond that, right? So I think the seminal albums we agreed, you and I, Mark, were uh, uh, the S album, uh, Fragile, and Close, Close to the Edge, right? Yeah. Yeah. So those, and those three, uh, Bruford was the drummer. Mm-hmm. And Rick Wakeman was the keyboardist. Yes, so he was. Actually talked about it as well. All right, so moving on. So we have some follow-up here from Jaime of Zyme's. This is where we're going to run into trouble, the pronunciation of Mimoji. Yeah, Xiaomi, the uh, Chinese phone manufacturer has been pretty well known for uh, allegedly aping Apple style. Um, you mean simint- simultaneously developing these things completely independently, right? <laughs> independently. Not, not, not appropriating? Com- complimenting? <laughs> Commandeering. <laughs> yeah, so if you know the Memoji, the uh, make yourself as an Animoji sort of thing, um, I think at this year's WWDC, I heard a lot of the presenters in the keynote pronounce it as Memoji. Um, yeah, Memoji, yeah. I guess that's kind of new, but if you look at Xiaomi's product line, they tend to have the Mi, the M-I thing for their, their names. And uh, guess what? They have a M-I, M-O-J-I, a Mimoji. And if you look at the show notes, those of you driving at home, you'll see that these things are 
almost indistinguishable. And thankfully, this uh, Verge article actually has a pretty good uh, slider that you can sort of compare the two next to each other. There are some some minor differences in handling of the eyes, but if you aren't looking very very closely, it's it's indistinguishable. And it's in my opinion kind of unconscionable that they've gone this far in copying this style, considering that you know I'll give props to Samsung, right? We were talking about their version of Memoji with uh, Childish Gambino, and it's a very different style, right? Like I, I couldn't possibly mistake the Childish Gambino avatar for one of the Memoji. So there's so there's is clearly it, ways is it to only be- Childish Gambino that you can be on the other platform on the as a Pixel phone, I guess. Uh, I think it was one of the Samsung phones, so not not a not a Google Pixel, but I, I forget which, like the S10 or something, probably. So, so this comes back then to my my original argument against Memojis and Memojis in general, is that I find that they're I, they're cute. I get it. I get the whole Bitmoji kind of you know make your or Simpson make yourself a Simpson character kind of thing. But they, how many possible combinations could you have? I mean, could you not end up with two people who kind of look like Mark having a very similar Memoji, you know, or me? <laughs> You know, I, I, I can see that. Like, <laughs> but there's probably more combinations than than you might think. Just just from yeah, you know, just from the combinatorics of it. And so the the odds of you knowing someone who has exactly the same one are probably pretty slim. But well, I've seen I've seen people on I've seen avatars on on Twitter from people from two different people that that I could I, they're indistinguishable. Mm. You know, like like they just <laughs> and, you know, and then you get people like like uh, Jim Jalrumple who has you know a, an 18 inch long beard. There's there's no 18-inch long beard in the Memoji catalog, right? Mm. So the best he can do is like a sort of a scraggly beard, you know? But yeah, there's, there's no biker beard, you know? And But... Um yeah. But yeah, I, I just find that, that unless even even the Tim Cook one, I'm sure there are people who can look like Tim Cook in their emoji choices, right? I, I kind of suspect you're thinking through this a little too deeply here, Tim. <laughs> it's not meant to be a photorealistic thing. No, I'm not saying it's meant to be photorealistic, but I'm saying it's 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 homogenizing you. Oh, let's look, let's look at, take take the analogy of analog music versus digital music. You know, what do you have to do to digitize music? You have to throw a bunch of uniqueness away, right? You know, the bits between the bits, right? So it has to. It has to like reach a common denominator at some point, right? It's just not expressive enough for me. I think with the Memoji style, the big issue, uh, and actually, if you scroll down into the comments, there's a an image from uh, Lazende, I think is the username, where they show what Nintendo's Mii's look like, uh, originating with the Nintendo Wii. And even though they're largely just oval, you know, yeah. shaped um, heads, there's a lot more variety in those. And I think it's because the the Mii's from Nintendo allow you to put together some really garish combinations. Like there are some horrifyingly poorly designed looking um, sort of Mii's in there. Whereas all of the Mimoji, they all look really good. Like they've all got a very consistent, uh, pleasing style, regardless of what sort of weird combination you tried to put. And I do feel like there is a little bit more of the homogenization from the Mimoji and the uh, the Xiaomi Mimoji that the the much more open and, and, and sort of crudely drawn Nintendo Miis do not suffer from. Yeah, they they look kind of like like balloon heads. Yeah. Second row down. Second door. Second row down from the left looks like Mick Jagger, the third character, and the fourth character looks like Jack Black, right? Yeah, and in the yeah. the lower left corner, second from the left is uh, Don King. Yeah. <laughs> like it's got to be Don King if it's not Mr. Don Potato King. Head, yeah, only Potato in America, head. you know. I, I don't know who else it could be. Yeah. <laughs> it looks like Mr. Potato Head on the right hand side. Interesting. Yeah, and, and and so the Don King and the Mr. Potato Head, they're like design wise completely not congruent, right? Mm-hmm. And so there's a bit more openness in there. So I I don't really mind Memoji from a um, you know having a different avatar thing. I think there's just a little too much sameness in mm-hmm. them. Because you're right, Tim. There's definitely occasions where I've had to look on Twitter and like, all right, which user am I responding to? There are several people with the same sort of light brown gingery hair yeah. and the same glasses and the same basic beard. Yeah. And so I just have to be very careful because I've almost replied to the wrong one. Oh, really? <laughs> Thinking it was a different person. I told I said, wait a minute. Uh-huh. <laughs> when, did their, when did their avatar change angle? 
angles of the face. It was the literally the angle of the face that threw me off. Yeah, yeah. Sorry, I just dropped my mic. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I like the I like the little picture of the guy giving the talk, and it says one more thing. Dot dot dot. The fake jobs. That's the first image there. Anyway. Yeah, that that was from a Xiaomi keynote as well, where they were. Was it their own keynote? Yeah, oh, wow. I, it was some years ago, pretty pretty early on in the company's history, and yeah, they they've just sort of always had that company culture of aping the Apple style. Well, imitation is a sincerest form of flattery. Yeah, I mean, they were clearly saying, look, this is a winner. We're going to copy the winner. You know, yeah. nobody, nobody coppers, you know, nobody copies losers. That's a that's a losing proposition. That's true. That's true. True. We the podcast. All right. Um, so what else you got for us? I mean, FaceTime wise. This other one, I feel like this, this follow-up section could have been the WTFU uh, section that we've had <laughs> before because continuing along the path of weirdo things. So apparently in beta three of iOS 13, there's a new feature in, um, in FaceTime calls that will correct where your eyes are looking so that rather than looking like you really are looking in the real world, you're looking a, a little off from where the camera is looking, right? You, you're looking at the screens in your own face. This corrects, you know, air quotes here, corrects the image so that your eyes appear to be looking at the receiver of the call. So it looks this is an interesting thing. Personal. Whenever I take a selfie with somebody, I always tell them to look at the notch, right? Because that's where the, the lens is. Because otherwise you look like you're looking off into space. Sort of, sort of thing, right? But we have a unique opportunity here, Jaime. Have you got? Have you? You've got FaceTime set up on your phone. Mm-hmm. Well, I have. Hap- I happen to have. Uh, oh, do I have the beta three? I don't know. Oh, maybe I don't. I may have spoken too soon. That would have been a unique opportunity for us to try this, right? Well, Live with the magic of editing, by the time this episode comes out, <laughs> we can do. <laughs> we can do the test. Well, we can try it anyway. Let's see. Let's see if it. Uh, let's see if we look like we're not looking at each other. So FaceTime. What's your What's your FaceTime thingy? It should be probably. Probably the same as my email. Okay, let's try that. Video live on the air. One ringy dingy, two ringy dingies. Did I lose him? Have I broken the internet? Oh, yeah, hang up. Are you guys still there? I am. Oh, okay. Hi, Mary. Are you still there? One sec. I'm getting things set up. I wasn't. I wasn't prepared. <laughs> no. Oh no. Oh, the, the, I missed the FaceTime call. One sec. Do it again. Wait. Right, I've got. I've got the beta thirteen on my phone here. I don't. Know, I don't know which version it is. Oh, there you are. <laughs> The look of horror on your face. That's Chris Crate. <laughs> Get the microphone in here. Oh, I should do a screenshot while we're so, doing this, right? I have to remind you guys, this is an audio medium, so no one... Yeah. We're going to try to describe. So, okay. Okay, Tim, where are you actually looking right now? Uh, I am looking at your at your eyeballs. Okay. Right. You do you kind of look here? like you're looking off angle. Do I? If I look, if I look at... If, and I'm looking at the notch. How does it look now? Now you look like you're actually looking at my face. But you're using 13 beta 3? Yeah. Well, I don't, know, I don't know if I have beta 3, to be honest with you. I don't know what I have. Are you recording your phone here? To, uh, I guess it would be Jaime to see. I took a screenshot. Did you take a screenshot, Jaime? I did not, but I can. One sec. Yeah. But, oh, so wait a minute. So, sorry. It would be on Tim's phone because you have the beta that you would see the correction. Jaime, you wouldn't see anything. No, he would. The correction would be my my correction to him, right? Is it? Yeah, like my face is my face is full full screen on his phone, right? Right. So where is the correction? Is the correction being done on the? By the way, for those of you driving at home, I just want to point out that Jaime's hair is still poking up above his headphones. <laughs> so, so do we know? Is the correction being done on the incoming image or the outgoing image? It's supposed to be done on mine because or whoever's on thirteen. It's supposed to. I guess. I guess it changes the angle of the of the. But the but is it doing it? Look, do you know for sure that it's doing the correction on your image that's being sent out? No, because I don't know if I, I'm running iOS 13, but I don't know if what, I don't know what, let me go, let me jump out of here and see what version I'm running. Yeah, I, I, to answer your question, Mark, I don't know if it's symmetric. Like, it, it sounds like you're guaranteed to see it on the receiver side because that's the point of it, but I don't know if you, the sender, the feed that you're seeing of yourself, what that looks like. Right, right, exactly. I mean, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't make it the same for both, but I could see there being some technical well, reasons or- or would you only? It's possible that you'd only see it on the on the receiver side because it's being done on the sender side. So if so, if Tim Tim has got the, Tim has the iOS thirteen version. So if they're doing the correction on his outgoing signal, then only you would see it. Right. Your phone, I mean, doesn't doesn't have that feature to to do the correction on your outgoing signal. But on the other hand, if iOS thirteen is only doing it on the incoming, it's not going to do it on both. But if it if it does it on the incoming signal, then only you would. See see it, Tim, and not Jaime. So the uh, question is, who's seeing it, if, it, if anyone? Well, based on the images that are showing here, the person 
person on the the, the main screen um, is the one who's who's I it's it's like doing a keystoning effect like you know how you do on projectors to make it look like change the perspective on the image right because he's still looking down but they're they're doing some mojo to make it look like he's looking up the claim here in the article from a uh, a tweet by Dave Shukin is that apparently this works by AR kit grabbing a depth mapped position of your face and adjusting the eyes accordingly so that right. to me so it's on the like sending side and then I would guess that on the receiving side they could do the same if you are also using the upgraded version of iOS well if they send the depth information well from the receiver right which no, from the sender right so so you have to get so why wouldn't the sender video just like you, so there maybe I'm missing something so so let's say the sender is the one who has the upgraded version so right. it, the real camera takes an image mm-hmm. you know or streaming images from the camera uses the depth map to figure out where the eyes are adjust the eyes in the images and then sends that information yes to the receiver that's right that's what makes most sense right and then on the receiver side i mean they're kind of a sender going in the opposite direction right so yeah. assuming they also have a compatible device i would assume that the eyes would be corrected going the opposite way too or for the receiver's face but it doesn't make sense to do a correction on on of the same image on both sides obviously right so each side is going to correct one image yeah mm-hmm. i would think that the one the, yeah. like the iphone 10s side is going to be the one doing it because that's the, i think the one that's picking up the image with the you know with the with the 3d camera like Jaime the, says. Se- the sender yeah so yeah so so Jaime, for your picture you're the sender tim's the receiver tim for your picture you're the sender Jaime's the receiver so you're both the right. sender and the receiver at the same time so so it, it it totally makes sense that the sender in each case would be the one doing the, the uh calculation yeah. for two reasons yeah. that i can think of one is it's got the data now yeah in theory you could count you could record the data and send it along if you wanted to but that sort of doesn't make sense because if for no other reason uh if you're in a group call then if you send the the info to four different people then each of those four different people has to do the same calculation and that's kind of wasteful so it's it's it makes more sense for the sender to just do it once and then send the corrected image so i'm i'm voting for sender side yeah i i could see i could see that you reduce the amount of data um I guess it depends on how quickly they can do the changes prior to the image being sent over the network. And I guess network latency would buy you enough time to deal with that rather than doing like, uh, so the alternative model you're talking about of send real image, send corrective data as well. And then Mm -hmm. on the receiving side, you splice the two together. Yeah. It kind of works a little bit the way that um, real time multiplayer games work. Like, I don't know, like Doom, right? I know it's a rather old game, but like, uh, or maybe Quake is probably a better one, where network-connected games will locally make some calculations, predict what they think is going to happen, so they can make changes on the sort of local machine that the mm-hmm. player is using. But then the server decides what actually happened as it synchronizes everything and can send corrective information to be like, no, actually, you missed that guy because he was over here instead. Mm. And they do it uh, fast enough and well enough that it's generally seamless, although you will, uh, you will find some hilarious videos on YouTube where, I want to say it was like, Killer Instinct for the Xbox One, where you could watch two different streams of the same fight and one player won and the other player won and it just because they got out of sync and their their syncing code was, oh, was right. wrong yeah. hmm. it was hilarious like <laughs> it just looked like the other guy gives up but it turns out like he's getting beat up from the other guy who also thinks that the other guy has given up huh. but in this case i uh, i don't i don't know how much it actually gains you because there's a certain latency that comes from uh the sum of network time plus decoding time whichever side it's on and whatever that total time is how much lag you're going to get in your stream and that's kind of fixed no matter which side it's on. Whereas in your case, there's this there's this kind of very fast, you know, send information up and then get information back to respond to something you're doing. And the timescales are a lot faster, I think, in that case, right? Because yes, you want to you want to have what you're saying sent over as fast as possible so that the person doesn't see uh, a noticeable lag, right? And like you're talking to someone on Mars, right? Uh, but there isn't this up and back. There's not the the round trip. 
trip that you would get in the game to respond to, you know, you, you press the fire button. You want that round trip to be as fast as possible. Anyway, we're probably thinking about this way too much too. <laughs> Reverse engineering. How, yeah. do, how does this work? Yeah. How would we have implemented it? It, it is, it is all kind of creepy though. So I'm, I'm wondering if uh, in iOS 14, <laughs> if there's going to be, this is going to be coupled A with, backlash? with CreateML yeah. and CoreML so that you won't even have to be on the phone call. It'll just generate a, a deep fake of you to have the conversation for you if you don't yeah it'll be like in uh it'll be like in the uh um rise return of the what's it rise of the jedi what's the one that um no what's the what's the second star wars movie called last of the jedi where all of a sudden jaime and i will just start talking to each other and you know he's the last the jedi, jedi from uh, director ryan johnson yeah yeah, yeah. with, the, with the, the the jedi facetime calls yeah anyway on that note <laughs> I, I see that movie and I, don't, I don't get the reference i don't know anyway it doesn't matter it's the one, the one where luke uh luke uh they oh yeah luke. yeah so i saw that movie yeah i don't I still don't you know the scene where part. kylo ren and and uh ray keep seeing each other like they keep you know something happens the violins play and they're, they're talking to each other and they can see each other across across different uh, across the void there's like three scenes in the movie where they do that mm, okay. i mean i call yeah. it the J- J- jedi facetime call i see okay yeah, anyway so let's talk about the elephant in the room shall we so the big news last week and this happened like again of course a minute after we finished recording <laughs> that uh the, the world learned that johnny ive apparently is leaving Apple to go and form his own company. And of course, all kinds of people have throwing around all kinds of speculation about this. And, you know, stock stock took a bit of a dip. I don't know if it would call it a nosedive, although some places did call it that, I guess, for clickbaity titles. And uh, But of course, yeah, it's, I mean, it's way up now from then. Not way up. But is it? Oh, yeah. Oh, it's gone up from then? It's recovered? Yeah, it's, recovered? it's up. Yeah. To, it was close at around 204 today. Oh, cool. Yeah. So, so um, yeah, which is good because, I mean, it was down like 97 mm-hmm. or 97, I think, mm-hmm. when when this all, when this news broke, yeah, um, and and I don't know. I mean, having having had a week to sort of digest it and read all the, the panicky stuff, uh, there was an interesting article in Bloomberg from Mark Gurman about the fact that uh, he's been working on this for a while, like three or four years now. He's been sort of you know pl- making the moves to sort of start up his own company and and uh, and and has been you know moving away from this. And again, it comes back to this whole knee jerk reaction that people have over Apple when Steve Jobs got sick. Everybody Everybody panicked when Steve Jobs died. Everybody panicked, um, and we've, as we said all along, that Apple is not a one-person company, right? Uh, Steve Jobs was not the only person who was innovative at Apple. Obviously, Apple is very good at about hiring innovative people, and uh, they would carry on in the same in the same sense that they would be fools to have like one chief designer who designed everything, and and nobody else is allowed to lift a pencil. Um, so clearly, they the people who uh, worked with uh, Johnny Ive have stepped up and now have taken on more. Or probably already had those more um, more involved roles, and the design team at Apple uh, carries on. So, before I move on to Joe's article, what do you guys think about this this story this week? Yeah, I, I don't. I honestly don't think it's that big of a deal. I kind of suspect that the same people who are predicting, you know, doom and gloom and the end of the world, and complaining that that uh, everything's going to end, you know, when he leaves, are kind of the same people that have been complaining uh, for pretty much the entire time that. Johnny Ive has been sort of the number one product guy that Apple hasn't come out with any new and innovative new products in all that sure. time. I think it's probably the same people who just like to complain about Apple. So I, I, I don't think it's that big of a deal, really. I, I think if he's got a consultant company, he's just going to you know work from a different location and, and on his own terms a little more. But he's still going to do the same stuff that he's been doing. I mean, the story of somebody going off and deciding, that, okay, I've had enough of growing you know in the company the way it is, and I'm going to go off and, and become a consultant nine times out of ten the first customer for that consultant is the company they're leaving sure right yeah you know that's that's a common practice right mm-hmm. um so what do you think honey yeah i've seen a lot of hot takes that like you know this is the best thing ever for apple um, <laughs> this is the worst thing ever for apple and i think the truth is kind of somewhere in between um there are i think tons of really good designers at apple and now you have different voices that can come to the forefront since you have a different leader now mm-hmm. and you know it might actually be time for something different. I mean, Johnny has been in the company 20, 30 years, something like that. That's a, that's a really long time to be sort of at the forefront of things. Mm-hmm. And in terms of, I don't know, company history, I mean, it's Apple's had good design prior to Johnny Ive and 
I don't see why it couldn't have good design after him. Right? They also have bad the right design culture. too. Let's not forget about the bad design that they've had. Yeah, they've, <laughs> they've definitely had uh, hits and misses. Who designed the Cube, the 20th anniversary Mac I Cube? Was that cube. Johnny Ive? I'm don't not know. sure. Don't know. Yeah, but like and the, and the I, round I, mouse that came with the yeah uh, the puck mouse was that the with, original the, with the original iMac. He was he was involved in that one for sure. Yeah, because that was he was around for the first sort of that Bondi Blue Bondi sorry mm-hmm. people in mm-hmm. Australia Bondi Blue um, iMac and then the, the iMacs that came after you know the strawberry iMacs and all that kind of stuff. He was he was involved in that stuff. Yeah, I, I actually kind of wonder if it if it isn't time for Apple to become a little less design focused and a little bit more engineering focused than they've been, mm-hmm. or at least the perception of what they've been. Because it's, you know, we've, we've been complaining for years now about how the, the quality has been going down. Uh, and of course, I remember in one of our first episodes, I'm making the case that the quality level hasn't really been going down. It just seems like it has been. It's always kind right. of been sort of mediocre. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but... But with a nice, nice sheen to it, and a shiny apple. Right. So so it's certainly possible, and I, and I don't know, you know, not being an apple, but it's certainly possible that they make certain engineering trade-offs because they mm-hmm. have to meet a certain design aesthetic and some of the bugs and you know less than desirable behavior creeps in because they're making compromises to meet the to meet that aesthetic whereas if they had a little bit more of an engineering focus yeah it might not look quite as good uh might not be quite as polished but it might work a little better maybe i don't know mm-hmm. yeah i think there's some some truth in a lot of that where i think the the obsession with simplicity of form and thinness and other things have actually been like really good in a lot of cases, but then you'll have some counter cases like you know the keyboard situation mm. that have people like, well, I don't maybe maybe in our hubris we've made this laptop too thin, sort of thing, right? And mm-hmm. or things, I, I, things like Bendgate version <laughs> one and version yeah. two, right? There was the, yeah. the large iPhone version, then there was the or the why can't Apple design version. a decent keyboard, right? Yeah, the big argument against the current keyboard, which brings us to our friend of the show, Joe Triplinsky. Uh, piece called "If the Shoe Doesn't Fit, Grab Your Shoehorn," and uh, his his piece here is this quick little post that he put up about uh, qu- quoting some of the articles that have been out there last week um, and how they they're trying to create you know a trend or they kind of report on a trend. You know, for instance, one major new product in the post jobs area, the Apple Watch, made its debut about five years ago, but they missed the point that the iPad debuted five years before that, and the, uh, the iPhone itself was two years prior to that, so seven years. You know, the iPods another seven years before that and then the iMac itself 17 years prior and he says like do you see a pattern no neither do i it's not even like it's just there's no pattern so there's no logic to this right um and a five percent decline in the on the 46 million units of sold per quarter now defines it qualifies as faltering uh a five percent decline of of is not really faltering in sales like like i just said about the stock price going down a couple of bucks last week and and as you pointed out now it's up three bucks or so mark is not not doomed uh, a doomed stock price, right? Mm-hmm. So, so um, yeah, it's just I, I just like this article by Joe, and it's, I think people it's, it's a real quick read for people to have a look at it and sort of see that these there isn't much uh, substance to what people are talking about in terms of the the naysayers are putting out about Apple being not being innovative and all that kind of stuff, and how Johnny Ive leaving Apple is going to make a huge uh, it's an opportunity for news, but it's not an oppor- really opportunity for actual air quotes news about Apple, right? Yeah, yeah, I suspect there's there's a uh, too much space given in the entire media given to too much space given to apple relative to the amount of news that apple could possibly generate Mm -hmm. stuff like this and in addition to that we're in the post wwc yeah probably half of apple's on vacation summer break right now uh so there's not there's not a lot of news coming out so stuff has to be generated to fill in the the space yeah there was an interesting piece too uh, i think there was a tweet by or captured a reply to one of the authors from somebody saying assuming Tim Cook, because it was signed Tim from my iPhone, could have been me for all we know, right? Um, talking about how the, the sort of rebutting some of the arguments that these people have made, just that, that it's just it's unrealistic that Apple would have one key designer that would be the, the root of all, right? So, mm-hmm. yeah, all right. So Yeah, I, I found it kind of interesting one article today, I want to say, that was supposedly, oh no, uh, Johnny Ive was frustrated that, you know, Tim Cook doesn't care about design. I'm like, you're right, he doesn't, because he's not Steve jobs right he's a completely different kind of yeah. ceo he compare he cares for as far as i can tell about a completely different set of things right like apple's even more 
uh, giving back to the community, at least, you know, openly much more under Steve, I'm uh, sorry, under uh, Tim, Cook Tim Cook than yeah. Steve Jobs, right? It's a very, very different kind of company. So I think even if, even if you took it as true that like you know, Johnny really wanted somebody who was more like Steve, then it kind of seems like, yeah, maybe it was time for him to move on. Like, go find the next Steve. Go find your next... Uh, or be the next you know, Steve. Yeah, find, find the next, you know, John Lennon or Paul McCartney to pair up with. Um, if it's a different company, that would just be a frustrating thing for me, right? If I was sitting there in his shoes and thinking, gosh, this person doesn't have the same priorities I do. It's like, okay, there's no harm, no foul. Go go do different things. Well, and but the, keep in mind, too, that, that which we didn't talk about yet, but he's basically got his first customer is Apple, and apparently there's a million dollars worth of a million dollars is that maybe that maybe a low low estimate of business that he's going to get direct you know, directly from Apple. Apple being one of his main customers to start with, right? It's not like he's going far, right? Yeah. Point. yeah. And when did Steve Jobs die? Was it like 2011, something like that? Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, it's right. been a while. He could have, if if he didn't like Tim Cook, he probably should have figured that out by now. Yeah. So where is Scott Forrest all these days? That's a really good question. It's really weird that he's not like CEO of some company somewhere. <laughs> I mean, you look at like. Uh, uh, you know, Andy Rubin, the head of Android, was uh, he's been in the news for a lot of like really unfortunate things for him lately. Um, but at the very least, you know, he was in the news prior to that for being CEO of uh, Essential, right? Just kind of trying to do the virtual assistant in um, Android-ish type of thing all over again. But it's just really weird that somebody like Scott Forstall hasn't visibly shown up somewhere else. By the way, no relation to Andy Rubin and me. Andy Rubin, the uh, guy from CBS? Hmm? No, or Rick Rubin. <laughs> oh, between you. Yeah, yeah between Mark and Mark. And <laughs> no, no, no relation to Rick Rubin either, Mark? No relation. Mark's cousin Rick Andy, Rubin. you know. Unfortunately. No. Not, not Uncle Rick Rubin? Nope. <laughs> uh-huh. I'm just getting real quick to see if we can find that uh, tweet. Where is it? By the way, do you guys see this this tweet about this girl lifting up these uh, bottles of wine through the, the fence? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I've seen the video and I've seen one particular caption. What was the caption that you saw? it with oh probably about helping uh what happens when you help um oh fixing a bug in your code pay some random do appears here just as this is just a package to solve your issue oh i i saw it as a um 10x engineer snark so for those of you who haven't seen the video which i'm sure tim will find to put in the show notes um it is a woman who has a like a chain link fence in front of her and on the other side of the fence are two bottles of wine and she's picking up one bottle of wine sort of through the chain link fence and trying to like you know hand over hand wriggle this all the way up so she can get over the fence right while she's part way up the fence a quote-unquote helpful person comes by gets the other bottle and puts it into her second hand yeah so now she has two bottles one in each hand and no way of moving forward because if she lets go and these bottles are far enough apart she can't possibly grab one and then move the other and so she's basically stuck or or left to break the bottles by just letting them drop so do you think that said it was the video was set up <laughs> like it was part of a candid camera sort of thing or like a joke uh, uh variety show or something fake, I'm news, not sure. fake news kind of thing yeah i'm not sure but you could like i think people really read into it and i think it seems like it made its way around um developer programmer circles because there are a lot of instances where superficially it seems like somebody's helping, but it turns out they're they're actually not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, going, going back to Joe's article, it really sort of strikes me. You know, we have this saying that, you know, this is the greatest thing since sliced bread. And it really should be updated, right? It should be, what you know, this is the greatest thing since iPhone. Like, mm. who who has come up with something uh, something better? E- even Apple, you know, according to the, the critics here, has, hasn't had a hit like that. I was like, yeah, sure, because it's kind of a once in a generation hit has anything else been as successful as as iphone yeah the internet and the computer i mean since then i mean since <laughs> since you know post since uh, the internet nothing yeah i mean it's after after the iphone there there really isn't i mean we've heralded the things you know like the amazon echoes and other things like those collectively probably end up selling less than the apple watch right which took a little while to get off the ground but is really popular um airpods which seem to be poo-pooed in the, um in the wall 
Street Journal is like, oh, you know, it hasn't been enough to shore up sales. Like AirPods are ridiculously successful. It's a $149 product that darn near everybody seems to have, at least, you know, in tech circles. Um, I suspect they're probably making their way out further into sort of the average mainstream, just like we saw with Watch, right? Apple Watch was out in the tech circles first and then made its way into was It was considered a joke. It was considered a complete failure, right? But the AirPod? No, no, the Apple Watch. Oh, yeah. right, yeah. yeah. That's you did. You mentioned watch there, Jaime, right? I didn't just jump in. I did. I did watch. Yeah. Sort of with the same pattern of um, early adopters, techno savvy folks getting it first, and then pretty rapidly making its way yeah. out into the mainstream. Yeah. Still waiting for HomePod to do that. <laughs> Slowly, you know, with my, next year when my WWDC 2020, pre, you know, pre-show prediction is maybe they'll do cloud functions hosted, you know, cloud kit functions hosted through, um, you yeah. know, Buddy Build or something. Yeah. That's that. That's the key to the two trillion dollar company yeah. valuation. I, I do got to say though, I, I still really like my HomePod, so I'm I'm pretty happy with the purchase. I still think yeah. I'm getting a second one to take it. Going the stereo route. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Do, what do you do? You guys use it all the time for like music and stuff, or well. Not all the time, but, you know, often. But, I mean, that's his main purpose, is your entertainment. Oh, yeah, I use it for music. Yes, yeah. Yeah, I don't really use... I mean, I use Siri to sometimes to uh, tell it to play music, but actually it's more likely that I'll just use... Uh, my computer and pick something and and have it uh, just send it to the to the HomePod and play it. So I just use it as a speaker. Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess. Okay. Yeah, maybe that's maybe that's why I have a more positive opinion about it than others. Is I'm I'm just using it for the speaker. I'm not using it as a personal assistant at all. I, I make no attempt to try to do that. No, but I mean, it is cool. That you can ask it what music to play and stuff like that, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. I use mine in quite a different way. So I do use mine predominantly for music. I use Siri to ask it to play music. Mm-hmm. And uh, and in my case, it's because I'm not usually playing a specific playlist. It's more like, you know, the best of Queen, you know, best of the 1990s, play, you know, I don't know, Aerosmith or something, or, or play a particular song. And I also use it for things that I know integrate into, um, let's see, reminders for like to-do lists and also shopping list mm. um well, i guess other reminders for like remind me to do this thing uh at a particular date and time uh add this thing uh, add this thing to my calendar yeah pretty sure i use add this thing to the calendar and so basically anything that i want to have integrate into my mobile going about and have things on apple watch and, and on iphone and the echo tends to be more command and control for control these things around the house mm-hmm. um set kitchen timers give me news that sort of thing the google home tends to be more you know ask the magic oracle this random question uh control google ecosystem things like my chromecast um i do find that mysteriously when it comes to weather even though i generally don't like the weather answers from siri it is ridiculously good at understanding and giving me the wind chill and humidity which both the home pod sorry the uh google home and the amazon echo kind of falter on sort of randomly for some reason okay let's so that, whoever let's hold on hey siri what's the wind chill and humidity today i can only answer one weather fact at a time sorry about that oh fail <laughs> oh i only ask for one at a time I've, I've never i've never tried asking both hey, as a Siri, combined what's sequence. the humidity today i can't get the humidity index for the entire day but currently it's 52 percent in san jose california okay that's not bad hey, i usually tend to get chill right now i don't know what the wind chill for san jose california the united states today is but here's the weather forecast okay yeah so my my, my very particular use case is needing to understand what both of those factors are because I have a tiny little chihuahua who is going to be sensitive to both of those things and have to decide what is he wearing when we go out on our walk. Wait a minute. You guys have wind chill where you guys are? Well, it's not real wind chill like in Canada. (laughs) (laughs) It it tends to matter more. It tends to matter more in the colder months because chihuahuas are high desert creatures and being here in the Pacific Northwest, um, his fur does nothing. It's ornamental. It's painted on at best. That's so, just cruel. Yeah, yeah, it, it's it's pretty pretty rough here. So so wind chill and humidity will help me understand. Well, how does he need to be dressed? Does he need like a little t shirt? Does he need a little like jacket? You know that sort of thing. Hmm. And, and those are really good. The uh, Google Home and uh, Amazon Echo tend to do a little better in the giving me the forecast and and also not giving me the completely irrelevant. This is given to you by Yahoo Weather or their Weather Channel or whatever it is it says. Craziness, man. All right, all right, next. 
Yeah, so uh, this is a quick article I found uh, last week, I think, on LinkedIn, probably. Um, article here on three steps to prepare your apps for Swift UI, Combine, iPad OS, Project Catalyst, and other leaps in the iOS industry. Um, and just a little piece here, just uh, covering off, you know, if you're, if you're, um, not so tightly coupled between your business logic and your uh, frameworks like UIKit, SwiftUI, and so on and so forth is pretty straightforward um, being able to do that. But a little bit talk about how, if you are a little bit more tightly coupled, um, how you just sort of work things out a little bit differently. And then, you know, things like um, if you haven't got a watch app already, that may be an opportunity for you to try uh, SwiftUI independent of your uh, project, right? It makes a lot of sense. And I think longtime Mac developers have been advocating for something pretty simple similar and, and saying, look, it's not that hard to make a Mac app um, pre-catalyst because you should probably separate out this domain logic anyways. And then the, the yeah. candy shell is the UI, whether it's UI kit or app kit, it shouldn't, it shouldn't matter too much. And I think uh, historically, this is kind of where um, the UI responder and the responder chain has really shined where your widget, your UI widget says, I'm really confident that somebody somewhere in the responder chain will respond to this request that the user has tapped on this button or move this slider and then you know the implementation in the domain side is, is sort of none the wiser right there's there's something that translates that for it and turns it into yeah you know away from ui kit or app kit specific things and into oh, okay this is what that means the user is purchasing an album or they're adding something to their watch list Mm-hmm. And and this is it's it's kind of just a summation of what people have been talking about. Many people have talked about for a long time. Just the, it's the clean architecture concept, or or doing MVC the right way as opposed to you know the massive view controller way, uh, where you know where where things are separated out. Uh, and so there's kind of nothing new here. There's some nice pictures, uh, but uh, but it's a good summary if you haven't seen the concepts before. Yeah, or if you need to go and explain to your boss what all this means, right? Mm-hmm. An opportunity for that. All right. So what have you got here? How many of the missing check? Oh, uh, I also couldn't decide if this fit in as being a pick or if this fit in a WTFU or other. This is a post on uh, the Always Right Institute. Mm-hmm. Uh, the missing check mark. Swift Web UI. And what is that? Uh, in this case, it's a toy project put together by this individual that allows you to write Swift UI views which display in a web browser. Oh. So web technology is we may forget, is also generally a declarative language. So having something that is a declarative, you know, sort of way of building views like Swift UI can lend itself reasonably well to doing this sort of nifty thing. So in this case, they've got, you know, a little import Swift web UI package and then building a struct with a main page and view and even has the fancy little at state stuff for your uh, property wrappers. And it, it looks pretty much like you would build stuff in Swift UI on um, iOS and macOS, but it you know translates itself to something you can view on the web. Um, so this is kind of an interesting thing. So, of course, web apps generally work by sending you know, JavaScript or something like that from the server down to your mobile device and just rendering it in your browser. Uh, so with something like this, this is this is rendering everything on the on the mobile side uh, into a into a you know, like a web view, uh, which doesn't fit into the real general web architecture. But w- would it make any sense to have something like this in a Swift on the server type environment where you could actually generate use Swift uh, Swift UI on the server side or generate Swift UI of some sort uh, and somehow somehow communicate that down to a browser does this make any sense I don't I don't know maybe it doesn't make any sense maybe it's just, maybe it's kind of a solution looking for a problem here I'm just trying to yeah, think I, how I, this could actually be used in practice but I guess it could be used you know if you if you just want to if you have an app that uses web views and you want to render stuff in the web view you could use it for that still all mobile on the on the you know local phone side there is an example later down in the article where he talks about um, using uh, like a, a server-side Swift to do that, Mark. Oh, is there? Yeah, Swift. He's got the Swift UI Hello World example um, where he, you know, you're using, you build a command line tool, or it's just yeah, and and uh, render it in a, in a web view. I think so. Well, but if you have a web view, you're by definition not on server-side. You're on the remote side. You're on the client, right? But it's calling it from localhost, right? So it's obviously being read somewhere on the ser- on the, the machine as a server. Let me look at this. Yeah, there's in in general for some of the things you're talking about there are sort of different philosophies. There is the uh, render 
render everything dynamic on the server side and then just send down stat, you know, static stuff yep. to be interpreted by the yep. browser. Yep. And then there is the send down some instructions that do all the dynamic stuff. Yeah. And, and I think re, I think React kind of works like that too with its um, shadow DOM stuff that it does, the, the document object model, the DOM DOM, mm-hmm. that it, it does all sorts of things that um, sort of stretch the limits of what normal web technology was sort of intended or designed to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wonder about this as well. Um, again, the caveat here from from this person is like, look, this is a toy project to sort of like see, you know, could we do this? Not necessarily should you do this, but it is yeah. interesting to think about it from a, you know, will things start converging towards having a more modernized, you know, declarative set of constructs to build UIs that get towards the right once run everywhere. And he very distinctly points out here that um, the stated goal of Swift UI is the opposite of that. It is not write once, run anywhere, but learn once, use anywhere. Um, you know, web technology has, has gotten us pretty far along, but a lot of the stuff that's in there is sort of weird and dirty hacks that have been built up upon to do things like e-commerce and Ajax and other th- weirdo thingies that browsers were sort of like not originally intended to do. Uh, you know, there's been a lot of nice stuff added on, uh, you know, HTML5 related stuff, but it's still at its core sort of not quite what you would do if you were to start from the ground up doing these things. And so I wonder if the industry uh, is sort of looking beyond just the Apple ecosystem, if we will ever have something like, is there a next thing that we can sort of have be seamlessly run uh, just about anywhere? Mm Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. On that note, let's move on to our picks. Honey, what do you got? This first one here is ostensibly a, a GitHub Pages um, collection from uh, Joseph Heck on using Combine. But really what it is, is an open book that is being sort of put together here uh, as time goes on about using Combine and learning about the core concepts and patterns and recipes. It's really the sort of thing that, that really could be like a book that you would buy from Pragmatic Pub or or Ray Wenderlich or O'Reilly. So that was pretty neat. It I haven't really gone through this, but I did think it was pretty interesting as a use this as a, a learning exercise, start getting used to the different ways that Combine uh, offers these new concepts or at least, you know, new to most people in the iOS ecosystem concepts. And it, it, it looks pretty interesting. I mean, it's free, so you can't argue with the price. Um, and it seems like there's some pretty good stuff in here. I, I think mm-hmm. Joseph Heck apparently is sort of writing this book as he's learning. So we're kind of learning along with them. Cool. Interesting. That's cool, right? Pretty, there's a lot of information here. It'll take a while to go through it. So what else you got for us? My second pick here is kind of on the lighter side of things. So IKEA has a um, design your own sofa online tool where you can create your own sectional sofa as as grandiose as you want. And, and it'll, they'll build it up and, and you, know, you can figure out the price. Uh, and people started making all sorts of, you know, it was almost like a, like a pixel art editor type of thing that people were, were making their own art. So the, the fine folks at IKEA have said, oh, if people like that, well, why don't we release our own font may, named Sofa Sands that is made out of couches. So they've got A, B, C, all the way to Z, the numerals one, you know, zero through through nine. And it is it, it is a font you can use. Um, I'd show the star designer and he turned around and gave me a sketch mock-up and said, hmm, legibility is a little rough with this in our UI. And I was like, yes, yes. Yes, it is. But it's couches. It is couches, though. It can be done. You can build your own, for sure. You can make your own name in couches. Interesting. That's cool. So my pick is uh, also, it's actually about Combine as well, but uh, it's a a tutorial by, or a video tutorial uh, by Muhammad Azam. He's, uh, he prefers to be called Azam. He um, does these uh, little courses. He teaches on Udemy as well, so you can get his whole course, but uh, he has these sample courses he puts up every now and then. Um, And he of course has jumped onto the Swift UI bandwagon, and uh, he's got an interesting couple of last couple of weeks. I've had some uh, videos that were interesting. Uh, what I like about his style, though, is that if you're coming at it from a sort of a very sort of junior or intermediate understanding of this kind of stuff, uh, he walks through and very clearly explains what each piece means. So, in this case here, uh, 
this one's called Understanding State in, in Swift UI, which is obviously part of using bindable objects and, uh, and other kind of concepts like that. Um, he kind of walks through and explains as you go through the example what is actually going on in, in, in pretty, pretty simple terms. So if you're just getting into this stuff and you're, you're not, not looking for a super deep dive, um, I recommend uh, you check out these videos. They're pretty cool. So have you watched it yet, Tim? I have watched this one. Um, yeah, like I said, at the end, he, he sort of switches into his, uh, um, talks about his course that he's, obviously, that's where he's, one of the reasons he's doing this is to get more subscribers and uh, that kind of stuff. But yeah, I did watch this one. So can you explain what at state does in 25 words or less? That's the proof of whether you really understand. <laughs> what does at state do in 25 words? Cut this part out if you, if you can't. <laughs> yeah, no, no. Explain I mean, it to I, me like I'm five is the so, other way. Yeah, well, I, I think that's that's the gist of the gist of what I'm saying about about the way his his teaching style is. Yeah, I think I can probably do it. It's um, basically you have you have uh, in the example Wait, he uses a the toggle words? switch. Huh? Get it. No, I said should we count no. the words? Twenty five words or no. less. So okay. if you have a toggle switch, let's see if I can do it quickly. Quickly, if you have a toggle and it it can either you can either set the UI to light or dark. Um, at the time that you're uh, running the the uh, the the first view, it doesn't know what the state of of the background color is, for instance. So um, state, basically, what it does is when you change, um, when you add the, the ch- it's a bindable object, you have to you pass in, and uh, whether it's dark or not, and then when when it when the switch is set to on or off, it changes the state. The state updates uh, the the application and tells the view to re-render with this with the new value in the variable. And so that's that's how you, you're able to switch the background color to black and black, dark or light based on on the state of the um, the variable that is dark or not. Right? That sense. that makes sense. Yeah. Ding. I mean, I understood the explanation, but it definitely was not twenty five words. Yeah, no, no, it was not twenty five words. <laughs> no, twenty five words is tough. So I tried live transcribing just for giggles. In twenty five <laughs> words is precisely if you have a toggle, you can either set the UI to be light or dark. At this time, you're running the first view. It it that's as far as you go. It, like, that's that's so as far as you can yeah, get. Twenty five words. <laughs> so you. It's tough. Yeah, yeah. So you you never you never got around to the point that that uh, that what I thought was interesting. The, the pieces I learned from this was was I mean obviously I've been watching a few things on on the combine and stuff like that and the fact that uh, you know the, the you have to pass in a bindable object and it's a, it's a, it's kind of a you know the, the it has a dollar sign to indicate that it's a bindable object in front of it and the other thing is that that every time the state changes when you get that did change val- value changes that the view is told instructed to to redraw like I guess like what do we used to, have to do uh, was that display thing display call we used to use back in the day mark to we used to use it in gaming to update the the view well like set needs um, layout or set well set needs replace is the more model one but there was a there was a much baser one back in the display something or other or maybe it is set set, set, display, set, there's set needs display and set needs layout then there's layout if needed that's the, the newer one that has to do with auto layout right right what was someone, there was some display thing they were using back in the day when they were doing games to update the view like oh, 60 frames a second layout subviews is that what you're talking about or, or are you yeah, talking about in, in in like a in a, a gaming OpenGL type gaming engine where you have to render all your views there was no specific built-in yeah. command for that but you would generally write uh, some kind of command that you would call like a uh, timer a clock yeah yeah and it would uh, and it would propagate down your tree of of objects and have each one render and then render all subviews right back in the early early days anyway mm-hmm. yeah so I, I watched a couple of his um, uh, as I'm uh, as I'm as I'm sharp on uh, on is his handle on YouTube um, yeah so he's been going through the he has other things too I saw one one that I don't remember if I watched or not, but dependency injection and storyboards, that kind of stuff, which is another semi-hot topic, right? So mm-hmm. I did look for... we talked about last week? Yeah, sorry? Are you talking about the changes that we talked about last week? or Yeah, yeah. So I, I did actually go back through a couple of videos, and I'm trying to go through my notes to find out where where and when it was that I heard the person say that um, about the uh, prepare for Segway going away or, or not being needed anymore. I still haven't found that yet. Well, so I, I can see why it would be. So when you have this... Yeah. This new uh, attribute, now I don't remember what it's called. It's uh, what was it? It's a, a, Segway. It was something uh, uh, IB action. action IB action. IB something action. like that. Yeah, but basically, you you mark a certain method with this attribute, and then when you when you call perform Segway before it calls prepare for Segway, uh, the old way or the current way up through iOS twelve, uh, it will just go to the storyboard, instantiate a. Uh, 
a new view controller from the storyboard and call the storyboards init with decoder method. That's the way it works now. And that's fixed. You can't ever change that. It will always do that. What this attribute lets you do is substitute in a different method to call instead of calling the init with decoder. And inside that method, you can call your own custom init method. So you can Mm -hmm. pass in whatever you want to pass it in, whatever you want to inject into the view controller. uh, And it, it avoids having to have all those optional properties that you need to set in prepare for segue, which gets called after the uh, the view controller is already finished initting. That's why it has to be optional. But now, since you can just build a your own custom init method and pass in whatever you want and do whatever kind of configuration you want in the init method, in theory, you don't need prepare for segue at all because your view controller is completely set up by the time that uh, this this uh, attributed method is done. Yes, real time follow up IB segue action. That's the one. Yeah. yeah. You don't have to get away from prepare for segue. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess where you might, well, I don't know. I'd have to think about in what case would you actually gain from having, from using that as opposed to using the new method. But off the top of my head, I can't think of one. So maybe, it, yeah, maybe it, it will go away completely. Mm-hmm. Was that 25 words right. or less? <laughs> no. <laughs> 25 paragraphs or less. Um, all right. So I guess that's it. Unless, Mark, is that sort of your semi-pick again this week? Sure. <laughs> Explaining right. the uh, the new storyboard stuff in a haiku, yeah, and show exactly. true enlightenment. Mm, I'll That's just true. Write a haiku on, on that. That would be good. So let's think about this. Um, yeah, if switch is on, I, UI view is black. I don't know. That's not three lines. You need three lines. It's raining on Mount Fuji. You know, <laughs> to get the seven part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes. If it's raining on Mount Suji, an IB segue action. Yep. Anyway, uh, I guess that's it for another week. Hey, Jaime, if people want to get in touch with you, how would they do that? I'm on Twitter as at Dev with a hair. All right. And Mark, if people want to get in touch with you. Mark R at smapsoft.com. Alrighty. And my name is Timitra. T-I-M-M-I-T-R-A on the Twitter machine is where you'll find me. So until next week, we'll say bye-bye. Bye-bye. This has been another episode of the More Than Just Code podcast. If you want to find out more about the podcast or see the episode show notes, visit the More Than Just Code website at mtjc.fm. You can get in touch with us on the website or follow us on Twitter at mtjc underscore podcast. If you have feedback or questions, send us a tweet with the hashtag AskMTJC. If you like the show, please consider recommending us to a friend, writing a review on iTunes, or pledging any amount at patreon.com slash mtjc. You can find out details on how to help us out on the website, mtjc.fm slash sponsor us. Now stick around for the after show, and thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. saw the stones on saturday how was it It it's good surprisingly surprisingly good i mean it's a phenomenon i think right the i get i get that they're they've been doing the same thing for so many years but the fact that they've been doing the same thing for so many years is phenomenon and the audience was actually great i mean like uh you know it was like an open field there were sixty five thousand people there uh it could have been you know super crowded people could have been jerks people could have been you know drunk and disorderly and but no everybody was like it was like a super it was like a family picnic like you know you know stone fans who'd seen them you know three times and stone fans had seen them 20 times you know um all being respectful and you know just enjoying the enjoying the spectacle that is the rolling stones right in life live and in person so and uh yeah this could be the last time who knows right <laughs> that's what they said sure 25 that, years ago <laughs> i'm sure they said that all the time well it's amazing too like i watched the video or uh, diane put me onto this this uh, film that's on netflix uh which sort of goes through it was it was created during the their 50th anniversary which believe it or not was like seven years ago yeah seven years ago 2012 um yeah so they're 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 you know they, the movies made before the watch was introduced um it's very interesting to go and see the spectacle in person like to see you know this kind of cra- i guess it was very similar to how it would have been in a sense for the grateful dead too right mark Just sort of people getting together and chilling and listening to, to tunes right yeah except when the dead were still playing now granted they stopped playing pretty much the original version 20 years ago um but yeah. back then they were still doing new music and and yeah. still pretty active you know scene 
scene and and uh, it, it wasn't i think it wasn't as much of a nostalgia act as these guys are well i mean they have been putting out they have done some new recording i mean like new recording meaning that i think their last album was a couple of years ago and they covered a lot of classic blues stuff which is i which is what the stones have always sort of done is you know if, if you look at what's been said about them and what they what they intend is they're just playing blues over and over again right mm-hmm. yeah, it's interesting i mean they kind of they survived to the whole surviving of the the drug period of uh keith richards Richards, richards is still alive at this point yeah yeah yeah. well it's funny it's funny as they introduced him he was backstage and and he like he had a cigarette in his mouth he's just butting it out as they as interest so he's still back there smoking cigarettes you know (laughs) yeah it it was a bit it was funny though was one point there uh they were doing um midnight rambler which which you know i i enjoyed their playing of it but it's not one of my favorite songs by them but you know obviously it's a it's a it's a big big deal with with stones fans but um you know mick jagger was phenomenal i mean like as i was saying to friends of mine the stones look great from a distance right yeah like from don't get up too close yeah like you know he was like he was as far away from me as tim cook was you know for the for the keynote and and uh you know if you watch him you know with the blur of 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 distance you know you you wouldn't be able to say he's like a 75 year old guy right but you know obviously on the big screen he's looking pretty haggard right uh but he's still moving like he's got the moves like jagger like they say right and then but it's funny because as he was doing his you know he's out there working the audience and clapping and strutting around uh the camera patch flashback to ron wood and keith richards and they're both standing there like old guys with guitars going is the song over yet is the song over yet (laughs) (laughs) but all the while they're playing phenomenal licks too right i have to say ron wood was amazing on guitar he's he's always been Mm. one of my favorite guitarists Mm. too right so yeah you know and and keith richards is the mastery master of minimalism right you know and charlie watts keeping time in the back there he plays mostly alternate tunings right is that is that keith richards yeah i've heard that too he plays yeah he plays a lot of open tunings and stuff like that right so yeah yeah but ron ron wood definitely had was doing doing the bulk of the the work on the solos yeah well i never really thought of keith richards as a great guitarist he was no yeah it was more atmospheric and the songwriter too right i mean like he he wrote the original those original licks that he wrote too it's interesting so here's a question for you about the stones right and and neil young you know the song mr soul yep you know the song mr soul right that's from i think it's either neil young or buffalo springfield yep which came first mr soul or satisfaction and are they not the same song satisfaction came way before did it yeah yeah you sure mr soul was something like 1969 oh, yeah yeah am i wrong i don't know i, I just i was found um, it interesting sure. that yeah but, i was found it interesting but, that they have a very similar riff right am i the first person 1967 67. yeah okay. satisfaction was like the stone one of the stones first yeah it was like hits, 64 right? probably 1965 interesting it's it's actually less time in between than i thought yeah yeah i thought it was going to be like you know five five to eight years but it's only two years right yeah i'd have to go back and see if they're actually the same notes but they have a very similar sound right sort of yeah sort <laughs> of. but you know a lot of stuff back then did <laughs> uh, i guess i don't know how about uh stairway to heaven and that spirit song yeah that's true that's true or hotel california and that jethro tall song which song is that you know that one no oh uh let me find it for you i hadn't heard of that one yeah that's a good one especially when you when you find out that the eagles were the opening band for the jethro tall tour oh yeah playing the song a lot just before uh-huh. hotel california was written oh really mm-hmm. that was don feeler wrote that right that riff this one jethro tall here it is there's a there's a, there's a link already like in, in the google did jethro tall influence hotel california i don't know the full catalog of jethro tall though i can actually use i could use siri for this oh we, oh. Used, to, we used to know we used to know yeah yeah 1969. It's like almost eight years older. Are you guys also aware of the similarities between uh, the main theme song to the Doom video game and Metallica's Master of Puppets? No? Or I'll, I'll throw this in the show notes. Yeah, you're right, Mark. It is very similar. Yeah. Interesting. And then there's every song Led Zeppelin ever wrote and something else. <laughs> yeah, well, they're recovering blue stuff, too. Yeah. Um, so, Jaime, the Master of Puppets and, and compared to what, Jaime? Oh, oh do- I have it here, right down here near the picks doom and doom Ever- and master of puppets it actually starts out with master of puppets first in this video oh it's actually a video where they put the two of them together yeah it's like a minute ish long okay 
Okay, cool. Tim, do you know the song Blackwater Side by Bert Yanch? No. Hang on a second. Look it up. Yanch with a J. J-A-N-S-C-H. And then uh, was it She's So Fine and uh, My Sweet Lord? Yeah. What else we got? Bert Yanch, spelled Janch. B-E-R-T-J-A-N-S-C-H. B-E-R-T-J-A-N. Oh, yeah, I got it here. Yeah, Blackwater Side. Side. Okay. See see if that's familiar. Let me listen to it. Hang on. Um, This Old Man, the nursery rhyme, and the I Love You song from Barney. Say that again? This Old Man and I Love You? Yeah, so Barney's I Love You, You Love Me, We're a Happy Family, right? (laughs) I don't know, I mean, you're kind of scraping the barrel on some of this one. (laughs) I mean, it's it's the same song. It's just a slow version. This old man, he played one, he played Nick Ness. So, uh, what about Twinkle Twinkle Little Star and ABCDEFG? Huh? Huh? How about that one? Yes, right? Right? Right. Right on. By the way, Mark, um, so is it a Led Zeppelin song, this Burt Snatch? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Led Zeppelin, Black Mountainside. Their song is called Black Mountainside? Go listen to that one. Uh, Well, I recognize the down, 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 down. It's it's called Black Mountainside. It's on Zeppelin 1, and it was credited to Jimmy Page. Yeah. It's exactly the same song. Well, except that Burt Yanch has So who came first? Because this this video is from 2008. Who came first? Burt Yanch came way way before. Did he? Yeah. Huh. Not to mention that the song is a traditional British folk tune. Well, that's, yeah, okay, when you're talking about traditional, then, then all bets are off. That's like uh, House of the Rising Sun. Was not was it the animals, or was it Woody Guthrie, or was it uh, yeah, Bob but, Dylan? But the fact that Jimmy Page, well, first of all, the arrangement is is that guitar look. That's yeah. That was Burt Yanch. The traditional yeah. song doesn't have that, but the, the arrangement with that guitar look was, was completely a Burt Yanch invention, and the fact yeah. that Jimmy Page gave himself writing credit for it. Yeah. Without it. Yeah, here's Black Mountainside Jimmy Page on the same on the same YouTube page. Yep. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> well, whatever. I'm kind of surprised that that one didn't have more impact because that's that's a blatant ripoff. Oh no, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I could hear it and I could hear it in the song. But of course Jimmy Page is just noodling around on this guitar. It's not really he's not focused. Not focused on ripping off the other guy. Nice. Yeah. Not that I don't like Jimmy Page, because I do like him a lot, but he certainly ripped off everyone late. Yeah, yeah. And he's been busted a few times. Yep. What are we gonna do now that Apple's not innovating any anymore? And not designing anymore. Yeah, no design. All designs are frozen from here on in. Yep. Everything will look <laughs> everything will look like like the uh, 2016 macro mm-hmm. now on. Yeah, trash cans all around. Yep. Yeah. Well, the people are even calling a parallel between the way this new Mac Pro opens the 2019 one and the Cube. Have you mm-hmm. seen that? With the little twist off top. Yeah. And just kind of slides upwards. Yeah. yeah. I have a Cube here if you guys ever want to see it. <laughs> I've seen one. What I want to know is whether, you know, when you put the wheels on, can you remove enough weight that there's enough thrust generated by the fans to <laughs> have it <laughs> propel itself, you know, like in uh, like rocket car races? Mm-hmm. And then Who you knows? can mount an iPad on it, and in the iOS 14 uh, deepfake generator, it can scroll around the room or wheel around the room and talk to you like one of those <laughs> robots with the, with, you know, with the iPad, but you don't have to have someone on the other end. Right. Anyway, <laughs> it's like Max Headroom wandering around the office. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. or have a moose have a, have the moose running on it, going around just bothering people, preventing them from actually doing work. We used to use that phrase yeah. back when I was in college. We used to talk about moosing someone. Uh-huh. Did you, Tim? Did you use it use it as a as a verb? No. no. I mean, it totally came from the moose. It's if you in college, if someone was studying and you know you want to go have a beer or something, uh-huh. you would go and convince them to go have a beer with you. That was moosing them. Oh, really? Yeah, because they were trying to do some real work and you're pulling them away from it and interrupting them and bothering mm. them. No, never heard that one. Yeah.